You're listening to the BJJ Strength Podcast. Helping you be your best physically, on the mats and off the mats. The Podcast. With your host, BJJ Black Belt and Physical Optimization Specialist, Lawrence Griffiths. Hello, you lovely, lovely people. Today, you're going to have the pleasure of yours truly speaking about nutrition. A very popular, very important topic to discuss. Um, and today, the way I want to do this podcast is in, is in two ways. I want to cover, first and foremost, some general eating principles when it comes to nutrition. I think it's a bit of a myth when people say, well, everybody is different, therefore everybody needs needs to eat differently. And it is true to say that everybody is different and there are going to be personal variations. But if you look at nearly every aspect of human life and human behavior, mostly we're going to sit on a bell curve. So 70% of us are going to sit within the middle of that bell curve and you're going to have some outliers but most people are not going to be outliers so i think that while you may have differences while you may have certain things that you need to avoid when it comes to nutrition and the only way to know that is to know your own body i think in most cases when it comes to nutrition and nutrition related to jujitsu I think you should follow general principles first before you start worrying about all the other potential things. That's the first thing I want to say. The second thing I want to say about the structure of today's show is I'm going to talk about it as it relates to how I eat on a day-to-day basis. Now, I am absolutely not saying that you should copy exactly what I do in terms of how I eat. I'm not saying that my eating and my nutrition is a gold standard to be followed. I'm just doing it this way because it's easier for me to remember and talk about the key principles that I use, I follow and recommend to other people if I just structure the conversation mostly around what I eat on a day-to-day basis. I think from that you, you hopefully you'll get a more natural conversation than me just working down a list of of pointers and things that you should cover. And most of those general principles should come out in that conversation. And if not, I'm going to dive into some specific topics and some questions that we got from the audience. Before we get into the content of the show, I know normally I will give you you know, a list of different programs, um, different calls to action that I want you to look at. Maybe you go on to look at my strength and conditioning program, rating and reviewing the podcast. But all I want you to do today, if you do take one action following this show, is going to be go over to youtube.com forward slash bjjstrength.com. And if you haven't already, subscribe to the channel. It's a really big goal of mine to try to hit 1,000 subscribers by the end of the year, and I would love your help to do that. So that's the, one, the only thing I'm going to ask you to do as a call to action from today's show youtube.com forward slash bjj strength and subscribe to the channel so let's get into the meat of this conversation and meat as no pun intended um 
my nutrition and what do I do on a day-to-day basis as, you know, as a guide to bring out some of the core principles I think people should follow. So the very first thing I do when I get up every morning, my alarm usually goes off around six o'clock and I get up um, and I have a liter of, I have a liter of water and it, but it's a liter of warm water, not boiling hot, but you know, tap warm water. I have a tablespoon of raw apple cider vinegar in there. And I also have the juice of one lemon squeezed into it and a decent pinch of pink Himalayan sea salt. Is it, is it, no, I don't, don't think there's such a thing as pink Himalayan sea salt. It's just pink Himalayan salt or pink salt, depending on where you, you know where you buy it and what the label says. But that's the first thing I do in terms of my nutrition. As soon as I get up every single morning, and I, unless I'm in a place where... I haven't got access to the apple cider vinegar or the lemon juice. I'll actually take Himalayan salt with me when I travel everywhere. Um, I've never got funny looks when I go through airport security with a little bag with this um, white pinkish powder in there, but you never know. Um, But that's how much I use the Himalayan salt. And actually, I use Himalayan salt in all of my water throughout the day. So the hydration is massively important for your overall health and well-being and when you think that you're someone who trains jiu-jitsu and also does strength and conditioning on the side and if you were you know if you live in a warm climate on top of that you probably need to be drinking a lot more than the general recommendation for water intake on a day-to-day basis and that's going to be the general recommendation is about 64 ounces of water per day for those of you in the UK, that's about two liters of water per day. And I know from my personal experience training jiu-jitsu, even when I was training in the UK in a colder climate, I've never sweated as much, maybe with the exception of Bikram Yoda, uh, yoga. And it's, it's, there's not much difference between how much I sweat, and I know most people sweat when they train jiu-jitsu. So 64 ounces a day is really not going to cut it for most people. I would recommend at least doubling that to 128 ounces or four liters of water every single day. Um, it's, it's, it's so simple to implement and has a huge difference on your performance. Just the, the drop of a couple of percentage points in terms of hydration levels starts to have a really big impact on your performance and your endurance. Um, and as you get you know into higher levels of dehydration, I think it's you know three to five percent uh, you know dehydrated you then start putting a lot of stress and strain on the cardiovascular system and can you know get into you know more kind of you know health risks if you're dehydrated but generally just just drink more water i you know as i said my foot the first thing i do is drink a liter of water and i'll talk about why i put those ingredients in the water the salt the lemon juice and the raw apple cider vinegar so it's one liter one liter of water immediately upon waking up and Again, right, as I'm saying through all this, you don't need to do exactly what what I do. And I don't, don't want you to copy exactly what I do. I'm just using it as a guide because it makes it easier for me to talk about it. So, you know, the first thing I've done is hydrated in, in, in the morning. And I will have that one liter. Then I train, well, I'm not, I'll, do, I'll do some light strength and conditioning for 20 minutes in the morning. And then my jiu-jitsu training is typically going to be at 10 o'clock in the morning so about four hours later 
By the time I've gone to jujitsu, I've typically uh, I've typically drank about three liters of water by the time I get to training, and when I'm actually at training, I'm drinking at least a water, a liter, about another liter when I finish training as well, and then another two to three um, in the afternoon. So I, I think I'm drinking anywhere between six and eight liters of water a day to hydrate myself. And I don't think I'm any, you know, that special or extreme in terms of my training. I do a light strength and conditioning session. Sometimes it's strength work, sometimes it's mobility and movement. It's not super intense. And then I'm on the mat four or five times a week for an hour, an hour and a half. Uh, yes, I do live in a warmer climate, but I, it makes such a huge difference. I know personally for me, and when you look at the data and the research, hydrate, hydrate, hydrate. There's there's no there's no two ways around it. You need to hydrate hydrate properly um, as a core principle of any strong nutrition program. Now, why do I add the lemon juice and the apple cider vinegar in there and the um, Himalayan salt or pink salt? So the the Himalayan salt I place in the water because one of the main things that we lose when we sweat is sodium chloride and also potassium as well. So that's why you, that's why your sweat tastes salty because you're you're sweating salt. So you need to find a way to replace that. And if you've got a clean diet that's not heavily laid have heavily laden with salt, then how else are you going to get that? And you know, for me, the best way is to add a pinch of Himalayan salt into the water. And why Himalayan salt over sea salt? Um, it because you know, table salt or sea salt is typically just going to be sodium chloride. You're not going to replenish some of the other minerals that you're going to lose, particularly potassium. So there's, you know, there's research and discussion around Himalayan salt having all these other health benefits, which, you know, I don't know how true they are, but I know I feel, you know, a huge, a huge difference um, from adding pink salt to my water to when I don't add any, anything into my water and you can look at the minerals that you get from that and it's you know you are losing sodium chloride and you're losing potassium when you sweat so that's why I have the salt in there and why do I have apple cider vinegar in my water so I get a tablespoon of raw apple cider vinegar one of the things that I've really got into over the last probably two years is looking a lot more at gut health and looking a lot more to eat in fermented foods gut health and the bacteria in in the gut i believe they call it the microbiome is shown to have an impact on not only your energy in your in your well-being but your mood and you know how you feel on a day-to-day basis so this this is a new area in terms of the research but when you look at the discussions it's a lot around looking after your gut health and the impact that has on the on your overall health and well-being so immediately in the morning i'm putting some raw apple cider vinegar in there which is which is a fermented food and supposedly helps you know gut health and digestion and all those things so i'm starting off from the very first you know i'm going to say in inverted commas meal of the day of getting that in, into the water. And I'll talk quickly about fermented foods here. Just generally, something like raw apple cider vinegar, something like non-pasteurized uh, kimchi, non-pasteurized sa- pasteurized sauerkraut, getting those fermented foods into your body, uh, you know, supposedly, you know, very, very good for gut health, digestion, and all of the, all of the positive benefits you get when you've got a good uh, microbiome in your gut. I'm not... 
um, you know, too au fait with probiotics and those other kind of supplements. But, you know, do your research. And if you think that's the best choice for you, bring it into your, your overall nutrition in terms of looking after, looking after the gut. So that's why the raw apple cider vinegar is in there. In terms of the lemon juice, and the lemon the lemon juice is in there because I, I, I always say supposedly in inverted commas, um, and I'm doing inverted commas with my hands here, you can't see that, for a lot of this stuff because I'm very hesitant to say that anything is a fact when it comes to, comes to the body. We can only go based on what, what the current research tells us and what the theories tell us in terms of the science behind it. So I say supposedly not because I don't believe it, but I also believe that you know, we've all, all always got to be ready to be proven wrong, but that's a bit of a bit of a sidebar. But the lemon juice, uh, I put it in there for the alkalizing effect that's meant to have on the body, and it's supposed to be good for energy. And I, I notice a difference when I'm when I'm drinking lemon juice in my water. And in fact, if I'm if I feel you know bloated or a little bit sluggish, tired throughout the day, if I'm a little bit hangover because I've been you know. Uh, which is not not that often these days with with the kids but you know if i've had a bit of a heavy night i'll drink you know maybe two or three liters of water through the morning with the raw cider vinegar with the lemon juice and with the himalayan salt so it won't just be for the first thing that's how much i i feel it benefits in terms of just kind of re re-energizing and resetting the body but essentially that's you know that's my first in inverted commas meal of the day is that warm water and again the water is warm tap warm that's you know meant to help with digestion so you've got the warm water you've got the himalayan salt you've got the raw apple cider vinegar and then you've got the lemon juice done out of the way so then i'll do my you know my light strength and conditioning workout for about 20 minutes in the morning um and then i i meditate which you know is another discussion for another time and then i'm ready for again in inverted commas my breakfast i started intermittent fasting about 12 to 18 months ago i would say and let's talk a bit about intermittent fasting in general and let's talk about you know how often you really need to eat i the, the reason i got into intermittent fasting is that i'd you know a long time ago had cut carbohydrates out of any morning meals and focused more on protein fats and vegetables and i was yeah it felt i felt good i felt good doing that but i was starting to notice that every time i i had food in the morning and you know particularly after i worked out i then have that that kind of crash and there's a, you know, there's a few things that i can eat i don't get that crash but you know my i'll talk about specifically what that meal was later on because I've just moved it to a different part of the day. But just in terms of generally how, how often you need to eat, I was, you know, experimenting with, you know, what, what should I eat for breakfast? And then I went to, we went for a brunch for Mother's Day with my family to a winery and it's about, you know, 11 o'clock in the morning. I hadn't eaten in the morning. And I, all through the morning, I, apart from the coffee, I hadn't eaten in the morning. I felt really, really good. felt really energized. My mood was up. And then I had the brunch. And, you know, granted, um, I was eating like, like a king of yesteryear in terms of the food that I had on my plate. So it wasn't the best example, but I just crashed and I felt absolutely awful. So I'd gone from feeling, you know, you know really energized. My mood was up very, you know, um, very clear in my thinking uh, and, you know, how I'm interacting with people when I hadn't eaten anything. And then I ate that brunch at about 11 o'clock and crashed and felt awful. Um, and I had to, I had to sleep for about 30 minutes to kind of, to, to get to get to get through that 
And that's what that's what spurred me into do you know what? Maybe I'm just gonna try intermittent fasting. And then from that from that next day onwards, I've I, I eat breakfast on occasions, usually once a week I'll have sweet potato pancakes with family and on the uh, you know on the weekend. So I still do that and you know, if I'm traveling and I know I can't eat or have very little control of my eating through the day, then you know, yes, I'll eat breakfast. But ninety-five percent of the time I'm not eating breakfast and I feel really, really good for it. Um now Intermittent fasting is not for everyone, so I don't want to give that necessarily as a recommendation. I think it's worth exploring, but the recommendation that I want to give to people in terms of just the frequency of your eating is around, you know what, eat less often. That's the big thing that I've learned from intermittent fasting, is to eat less often. When I was playing rugby, and I granted I was heavier at this point in time I was closer to about 230 pounds maybe a little bit more now I float around 200 205 I but I used to eat seven or eight times a day to try and maintain that body mass or, th- or felt I needed to eat seven or eight times a day to maintain that body mass and while I was a student you know not working full-time just working part-time and studying and training and I was younger and my body seemed to be able to handle that, and it didn't seem to be too much of a problem. But I noticed, and uh, you know, when I got into the world of work, and I'm working from you know nine to five every day, or you know actually longer than nine to five, you know, eating six, seven, eight times a day just made me feel sluggish. And, and gradually over time, I've just reduced down the amount I've eaten, and the intermittent fasting really kicked me in the ass and said, "Well, you know, I don't need to eat all that food all the time." And my worry was, and I think this is a lot of people's worry, when they reduce their eating, they think two things are going to happen. They think the metabolism is going to slow down, or they think they're going to waste away in terms of their, their muscle mass. And through losing muscle mass, they'll lose strength, they'll lose performance, et cetera, et cetera. And I think that neither is true, or it doesn't have to be true. First of all, in terms of eating really often and your metabolism, when you look at the research and, you know, we've been brought up to believe that, you know, you need to eat five times a day and eat, eat, eat less but eat more often to keep your metabolism going. They've done studies and they looked at people that ate the same amount of calories, either spaced out five, through five meals of the day or over three meals of the day. And these studies saw no difference in the person's metabolism. So no difference in the person's metabolism. I believe the reason why we think we've got to eat more often is a lot, a lot of it's driven by the food industry. You can go back and look at documentaries that cover eating habits from you know the early 30s, 40s and 50s. Snacking wasn't a thing. You had breakfast, lunch, and dinner in most cases. Snacking was something that was brought in by the food industry. Um, There's a a chocolate bar called Milky Way in the UK that is, I don't know if it's in the US as well, but there's a, and I saw you could see the advert um, when they first started launching this. Maybe it was in the 50s or 60s, I forget exactly. But Milky Way was one of the, you know, one of the chocolate bars that they introduced as, as, as a snack. So, you know, for mums to give to their kids, but, you know, when they get when they got home from school, but before they have dinner. And that's honestly what, where a lot of that comes from, is the food industry and the food industry trying to make money from us. And then when we look at the research, eating less and eating more often actually doesn't have, um, you know, an impact, a positive impact on metabolism. 
there, I think there is a case if you're a very high performing athlete, you're training, you know, intensely twice a day, you know, five times a week, or if you're into bodybuilding and you really want to get those extra percentage points in terms of, you know, gaining muscle mass, there, you know, may, maybe there is an argument for eating, you know, more frequently to get the calories in, to get the protein in and to, and to maintain your frame or to build your frame. But I know that, you know, you listening here, and if I and I know what the average audience is like for people that train jujitsu, that's not necessarily you. You know, you're, you've probably got a job, you've got a family, um, you've got other commitments outside jujitsu. You're trying to train as much as you can and look after your body. You probably don't need to constantly keep bombarding yourself with food to maintain your frame. You can probably get away with three good meals a day doesn't need to be intermittent intermittent fasting but simply just going down to three meals a day you can probably you know increase the size of those meals but going down to three meals in general i think if you can do that you i I really think it's going to improve how you feel and how you perform and one of the reasons is when we're constantly bombarding our system with food that takes a lot of energy for our body to digest if that energy is going into digesting the food, the energy is then not going to the rest of the body to recover from the training. But more importantly, when we ingest food and we digest it, insulin, depending on what you eat, right? But in, insulin, um, you know, does spike after after we eat, and so with you know, more so with some foods than the other and another. But insulin is counterproductive to other hormone production. So if we're constantly bombarding ourselves with food and our insulin levels are up all the time, we're not giving our body the opportunity to produce other hormones, for example, like testosterone, which are massively important in terms of energy, mood, libido, well-being, um, you know, muscle recovery and muscle re- growth, etc., etc. So that's the other, you know, another piece of advice is just eat less often. Doesn't need to be intermittent fasting, but play around with it and you'll be surprised particularly if you're trying to manage your weight. I think that you're going to see a huge benefit. But going back to my daily daily eating routine and what I have for, in inverted commas, breakfast, it's coffee. It's got a tablespoon of butter in it. It's got a tablespoon of coconut oil. I also have about a teaspoon of maca powder, um, half a teaspoon of cacao powder, and a little sprinkle of cayenne pepper. Now, I don't call it Bulletproof Coffee. I believe Bulletproof Coffee is just a brand. From what I've read, the idea of putting butter into hot drinks actually comes from farmers in Tibet. And Bulletproof Coffee, and you know, hats off to Dave Asprey, he's done an excellent job of bringing and marketing that product and making it a huge thing. But you know, Bulletproof Coffee is just a brand. Um, so I don't call it that. I call it, I don't really call it anything apart from my, you know, coffee with butter and coconut oil in there. Well, that's my, you know, that's my breakfast, and I'll usually have that about seven, seven thirty in the morning. Then I will, oh, no, 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 no. What was I going to say? I was actually going to say that, you know, why? Okay, why do I have the butter and the coconut oil in in the coffee? Well, it's for the saturated fat, and the saturated fat in our diet, providing it's come from good sources. So my my butter is from grass fed cows. And the coconut oil is, you know, from a plant source. It's not 
neither are highly processed um, fats. But saturated fat is, you know, very important for hormone production, and particularly hormone production in men as it relates to testosterone and some of the precursors to testosterone. And there's, you know, there is research to to to, to back back this up. Um, so uh, when you when you look at the research and you know what we should be having in our diets, maybe what we've told we shouldn't be having in our diets. Satur- uh, well, the research around you know testosterone production, saturated fat is a key element of that. Um, but we've been told so often that saturated fat is bad. We need to avoid it like the plague. But you can do um, you can do your own research. I'm going to put a link in the show notes to an article on the website that I've got that re- that covers these details in uh, in a lot more depth because I can just never remember them off the top of my head. But it's important to read, and particularly if you're worried and scared about fats, I think the fat section is very, very important to read and very, in a very, you know, worthwhile taking your time to to cover. There are there's two studies referenced on that. One of them is a study that well, it was a meta analysis looking at 41 different studies, looking at you know hundreds of thousands of people, and it looked at the impact of diet and other factors on cardiovascular disease all-cause mortality diabetes and other illnesses other you know very common illnesses in the modern world and it found that saturated fat was not related to any of those or not significantly related to any of those so the research that we've been given over decades around why saturated fat and saturated fat is bad for us there's a lot more yeah, a lot more data coming out now that suggests that's not necessarily the case. If you're getting your saturated fat from unprocessed sources. So I'll, I'll, I'll kind of lead into the next point. Processed foods, just in general, if you can take away one thing from this entire conversation today, it's to avoid and cut out processed foods. In particular, cutting out sugar. Now, what do I mean by processed foods? It's a very broad term, but there's a, there's a good um, saying, not saying, phrase that Martin Rooney uses, and this, he's the training for warriors guy, and it's the hunt it, grow it, or pick it principle. If you look at the food that you're about to eat, is that something that you could have hunted, you could have picked, or you could have grown yourself? And is it as close to its original form as possible when you start to prepare it and when you put it in your body. And it's just something as simple as that and looking at, let's take the example of meat. So if you have a steak, you know, with the exception of the preparation that the butcher and the farmer and etc. needs to do to that steak, if you're getting that steak and it's, you know, it's from a good, good source in terms of, you know, it's grass fed, it's you know, pasture raised, etc. There's not much processing that's happened to that meat before you start to cook it. But let's say you get a burger and you haven't made that burger yourself and you get a burger patty from the store. That's been processed and it's typically, one may not have the same quality of meat in it, but also is going to have other additives and preservatives placed into there. But then you can take that further. You can look at something like, uh, you know, a beef hot dog. I, I, I've opened beef hot dogs and it looks like nothing like beef. I've never seen a hot dog that looks like beef in my life. Um, it may taste like beef, but I can tell that's gone through an extreme amount of processing to get to that form. So you can imagine what's gone in 
in the process what's been taken out and lost in the process and you can look at the packet and see all of the other ingredients that's been added into it so think about it in that way you know have 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 the foods on your plate or the foods you're about to cook gone through extensive processing to get to that stage and that should already start raising alarm bells of what you should and shouldn't be eating now the obvious ones are going to be you know sugary drinks soda fast food and deep fried food even bread bread's a highly processed food all of these things if you follow the simple principle of i'm trying to pick as many whole food ingredients as i can and use them to form the basis of our meals if you do that but nothing else following this podcast i guarantee you're going to see a huge improvement in your sorry a huge improvement in your nutrition a huge improvement in your health your performance and your well-being it's it's that simple now there's loads of little nuances and details in there and not all processed foods are necessarily bad for you but as a general rule of thumb please 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 avoid the processed foods particularly sugar and watch out for watch out for hidden sugars fruit juices well it's not necessarily a hidden sugar but when you start consuming a fruit juice and it's loaded with sugar and even if it's got the pulp in it you know the body is not designed and set up to take all of that um take all of that sugar on in one go eat a whole piece of fruit rather than drink a massive glass of fruit juice and suddenly have that massive hit of fruit juice into your body that massive spike of insulin that's then, then is going to inhibit your hormone production etc etc but even worse are the the sugars that are highly processed like high like high fructose corn syrup and one of the reasons that high fructose corn syrup is so dangerous is that glucose that we typically get from fruits and a lot of other sugars can be processed by not just by the liver by by many other organs in the in the body and particularly kind of the, the muscles but high fructose corn syrup um can only and this is the true for other some other processed sugars as well can only be processed by by the liver um again look at the article maybe i miss i miss some of the details here but if it can only be processed by that one part of the body what happens to all of that excess sugar that can't be burned off it can't be processed it can't be used by the rest of the uh, by the rest of the body so it gets stored as fat so it's an important thing to know this you know avo- um, know this and take care of so avoid the processed foods and avoid um you know avoid sugars as much as you can and be really honest with yourself about what a processed food is rice is i eat rice i'm not going to slam rice but rice is a processed food rice needs to go through a lot of preparation by machine before it gets into the form that we eat it bread bread's a massively processed food pasta that's a processed food so all of these things that we're told to eat all the time um you know oatmeal is a processed food that needs to go through a lot of machine processing before we can get it to a stage um that where it's you know it's the same as you would kind of just pick it and and naturally and naturally eat it um i don't want to slam these foods necessarily like beans rice pasta porridge um i think avoiding wheat is a good idea i i tend to lean uh, this is what i'm trying to do here i'm trying to give you paleo-esque advice without trying to tell you to go full paleo because i follow i use paleo guiding principles to for most of my eating um but i don't do it 100 percent of the time and i know it's not realistic and doesn't work for a lot of people and i know that stuff like porridge has uh, you know a lot of health benefits attached to it 
and there's a lot of research to back that up as well so if you eat porridge and it works for you that's great but consider those are processed foods they're not necessarily whole ingredients you could just pick up and start and start eating without um you know much manipulation to them but anyway getting back to you know my daily eating routine and i think the point i was leading off on is that the the, the butter and the coconut oil is from uh, you know non from non-processed or um you know not very highly processed fats and that's you know led into the point about processed foods but some of the other ingredients i have in there are the the maca powder which that's spelt m-a-c-a and that is supposedly you're very good for hormone production and energy production so i add that to my coffee and it tastes pretty good when it's blended up with the cacao or i never know whether it's cacao or cocoa <laughs> someone should write someone should message me and let me know the connect connect pronunciation for that but that's it's raw it's raw cacao and you know it's very good in terms of in terms of the antioxidants and some of the you know the micronutrients in there and the cayenne pepper as well is in there to fight inflammation and combined you know the coffee with the butter the coconut oil the, the maca the cacao and the cayenne pepper tastes really damn good it's a fine drink um maybe i should market it we can call it bjj strength coffee rather than bulletproof but rather than bulletproof coffee we'll see um someone someone get in touch if you want to if you want to follow up on that idea but that, that that's my breakfast um that's my breakfast first thing in the morning about seven o'clock then i will let's let's go into something else before i continue on with the rest of my eating the rest of my eating for the day and the one thing i want to point out is looking at micronutrients over macronutrients so the macronutrients are your carbohydrates your fats and your proteins and i was guilty of this for years and years and years when i was playing rugby and i was very focused on eating for performance I was thinking I need to eat so much carbohydrate, so much fat and so much protein in a day to fuel my training and to fuel muscle growth and fuel performance. What I've learned over time is while the macronutrients are important, focusing on micronutrients such as, let's, let's take an example, you know, white rice versus a sweet potato are both good sources of carbohydrates, but what's the more nutrient-dense food is it the white rice or is it the sweet potato and you could also make a comparison between uh you know like a, a handful of kale or a bunch of kale and you look at all of the vitamins and minerals that are in kale versus another piece of food let's say uh, i'm gonna you know pick a really bad example but you know a handful of, of candy or a handful of sweets maybe they've both got you you pick them both to have the same um you know calorie content but the nutrients that you get from one food versus the other are incredibly different. And I'm not saying that you're, gonna, you're naturally going to be picking some sweets or candy versus kale, but I'm just making the point of focusing on the micronutrients that you get within your food are very, very important. Or it is very, very important. I've got some examples on the article that I'll link in the show notes. But yeah, I know that just telling you to focus on micro micronutrients is, that's a big subject and it's, it can be daunting and now you're probably sitting there thinking well what micronutrients do i need lawrence what do i need to go and put on my plate i i don't have all the answers right i'm not a nutritionist i'm someone that's got a passion about nutrition but i'm not a nutritionist but what i would say is just focus on 
nutrient-dense foods. When you're looking at your foods, think about it, what you're going to get more nutrition from. And particularly, and this leads into another piece of advice, eat more veg. Eat more vegetables. It's going to make a huge difference to your day, uh, to, to, to your health, your well-being, and it will make a difference to your day when you feel better. Um, but stuff like cruciferous veg, so kale, bok choy, cabbage, broccoli, I believe, cauliflower, are very nutrient-dense foods. So eat loads of leafy green vegetables. And that's important for you know the, the, the nutrients you, you're going to get from them. But they're also, the crucifer cruciferous veg are supposedly you know very good for anti-inflammation in the body. And you know anti-inflammatory foods, uh, you know turmeric is another thing that you can eat. Um, but anything that help, helps fight the inflammation in the body is going to help with the recovery, and is going to help you know deal with some of that soreness and that sluggishness that you could feel from training or just from you know general the stresses of day to day life. So eat, I think if eat more eat more veg and particularly cruciferous veg because it's related to hormone production as well when we look when we look at the research and the, and the discussions around these but i would i would really encourage you right try and get some green leafy veg in every single meal of the day right? and i mean that every single meal of the day even breakfast i'll while spinach is not a cruciferous veg it is you know a green um leafy vegetable my wife laughs at me all the time uh, we have a big bag of spinach in the fridge and if I'm making a meal, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm coming back from training. I've got to get back to work. I don't always have time to, you know, prepare a big salad, prepare a big meal. Maybe I've got some sweet potatoes. I've got some form of protein, and I'm going to eat those. But I need to get some green veg. I'll literally take handfuls, almost like Popeye. Take handfuls out of the bag and snack on it, and eat, and then get my veg in that way. And she's actually, if she, if she hears, if my wife hears this, she's going to laugh because she's told me a thousand times. Don't ever recommend people just to eat raw spinach out of a bag because they're going to think you're weird. Well, if that's the case, I'm weird. But, you know, if you've, if you've got to get it in, you've got to get it in. And, you know, for me, that shift of eating a lot more green leafy vegetables has made a huge difference uh, to my health and well-being. But, you know, more so the focus on, on micronutrients. And when I say, you know, I haven't got, like I said, I haven't got a specific list of micronutrients, but more looking at my food and thinking, what's the more nutrient-dense food in this situation? What's going to give me more nutrition other than just the macros? And focus on that in terms of healthy eating rather than eating for performance, I think is actually the best way to eat for performance. The healthier your body feels, the more nutrition you have, the, eat, the better it is, the easier um, it is for you to recover. Um, it's it, to me it's it's a no-brainer so forget less about the macros more about micronutrients and eat more leafy green veg particularly cruciferous veg it's going to do wonders for you so getting back into the daily routine so i've i have you know i have my in inverted comma breakfast the bjj strength coffee then I'll have another liter or two of water over the next couple of hours while I'm working before I head off to training. That water always has a pinch of Himalayan salt in it. I head off to I head off to jujitsu. Um, I train for about an hour and a half. I come home and then I have my first meal. Now, those of you that have been listening will notice that, with the exception of the lemon juice and the apple cider vinegar in my water and the coffee with the butter and the coconut oil, I've not eaten anything. And technically, that's not eating, it's drinking, but there are calories in there. I've not eaten anything all day to this point, and I've trained twice 
and this is just me personally, it's not going to work for everyone, I feel great when I do that. There was an adjustment period of a week, but after that, I feel fantastic. Um, but you will notice I haven't ingested a lot of carbohydrates in that time to fuel my workout because I don't think you need to. Before I talk about my first meal of the day, I want to cover off two points. One is about post and pre-workout nutrition drinks. And the other one is about carbohydrate timing. Now, first of all, around the carbohydrate timing. Jiu-Jitsu is a weight class sport. So most people, you know, yourself included, listening to this podcast, are either going to want to manage their weight to stay within a weight class, or you're going to want to manage your weight for health reasons. You may think that you need to eat carbohydrates all of the time to fuel your body to get through your workouts. You may think that you need to eat a banana before you train. You may think you need a pre-workout drink before you train to get the energy that you need. But the reality is, if you've eaten a, a good a good source or a good, um, I say source, a good portion of carbohydrate, you know, like say a good size sweet potato or a good size portion of white potatoes or rice or pasta or something similar the day before, within about 20 hours, 24 hours before, and you've not done any training since that meal, your body already has enough glycogen stored to get through about 90 minutes of moderate activity. Now consider that even a 90-minute jiu-jitsu class, you're not working all the time. So you're not working for 90 minutes. So your body already has the glycogen stores in there. So why do you then need to eat more carbohydrates leading up to your training to fuel your body? You don't need to because you've got, you've got the energy stores in your body plus the vast majority of carbohydrates that you're going to eat are not going to be broken down and processed by the body and the body quick enough to become fuel for that training session. It just doesn't it just doesn't work that way. So you've probably got enough energy stored in your muscles already to get through that training session. So don't eat the carbohydrates in the in the hours leading up to your training session, particularly if you're worried about weight management. I would keep your carbohydrate intake to the 3 hour window after you've trained. That's when the glycogen stores are going to be depleted and that's when your body needs it the most to recover and to replenish, replenish the gly glycogen stores for the next day. Outside that, especially if you're trying to manage your weight, really reduce down your carbohydrate intake and focus on vegetables, focus on proteins and focus on fats. This is going to make a huge difference in terms of your weight management and how you feel. It may take a little bit of adjustment at the start but i promise you it's going to make a difference and what was the, what was the other thing i was going to talk about um before i talk oh yeah supple, um, pre and post workout um drinks now the the one exception would be in terms of the carbohydrate time and if you're again when we go back to you know eating all the time if you are a, you know an athlete that's training very intensely you're someone listening to this that trains hard twice a day and you know, whether it's jujitsu and strength and conditioning, it's quite intense and it's five days a week or maybe six days a week, whatever the case may be, then you probably want, you need that additional fuel. You're probably going to need to fuel yourself with the additional carbohydrates outside that three hour window. But 
and I include myself in this. I train five times a week and I do my strength and conditioning, but I've got a, I've got a family, I've got kids, I've got a, you know, I need to work, I've got to put food on the table. And yeah, I don't need to, I don't need to eat carbohydrates that much outside those windows. The carbohydrate timing for me is, it's, it's, an, it's an incredibly easy way to lose weight, an incredibly easy, easy way to manage, manage weight. Um, give it a go. You'll, you'll, you'll really be, be surprised by the effects. But going into the next point, which is around, you know, pre and post workout drinks. Do you know what? I think in most cases, you're probably better off keeping your money and investing in better quality food to get your nutrition. Yes, there is research to back up that, you know, supplements, pre and post workout drinks and nutrition shakes can make a difference. But unless you're someone that falls into the full-time athlete category, if you're someone who's a hobbyist, which let's be fair, that's 97% of us that train jiu-jitsu, you, the, the, the small percentage points of difference in terms of performance that you're going to get out of that then for the additional calories that you're taking on and what that may mean for your kind of weight management i just don't think it's worth it i don't think you get enough of a performance boost out of it um i think you're better off on for you know get get you know grass-fed organic um you know meats and other, other other produce look at more natural supplements like turmeric that you can add into your diet and how that helps with fight inflammation maybe look at a multivitamin um and those things but i just don't think most people need it for the small percentage point of percentage point of difference it's going to make to your performance if you really want if you really want to you know you feel like you have to eat something after training to recover you know, have have some have some real food after that. have a banana um get some beef jerky to get some protein in you there's this the whole you know myth of the, the anabolic window and you have to eat within a certain window of the training to maximize the muscle growth and maybe if you're a bodybuilder those small percentage points are going to make a difference or if you're a competitive you know olympic weightlifter but really honestly guys i think i think you know sa save your money and invest it in more foods your your wallet and i think your body is going to is going to thank you for it um but again going back into you know my eating so i you know i've had you know hydrated through the morning i've had my special coffee then i you know i've done my strength and conditioning and then i do my jujitsu then i get home from jujitsu it's about midday at this point or 12 12 p.m i've been awake for about six hours and that's roughly when i have my first meal and that's when i have you know carbohydrate my carbohydrates and typically it's going to be usually rice or rice pasta and sweet potato i love sweet potato i could eat them i could eat them every single day i'd probably turn orange but they're, they're that great but it's you know it's fantastic food it's it's highly nutrient dense so i'm looking i don't really count the carbohydrates i just you know over experience and over time i know that you know a certain size sweet potato is going to be enough to, f to fill me up or it's not going to be enough to fill me up and you know more importantly i think than measuring all of the calories measuring the you know, the grams of carbohydrates and protein that you need to eat is, is listening to your body and you know tracking and noting how you feel because it doesn't matter how many suggested calories or carbohydrates or, or grams of protein and fat you're meant to eat if it doesn't get you the result that you want 
then you're not doing it wrong. So ultimately, it's that measure at the end. Whether your measure is just to feel good and to perform well, or your measure is to lose weight, or your measure is to build muscle mass, it's that that's most important than the necessarily counting exactly how much you eat them. So anyway, the, the the meal would consist of typically a sweet potato. Then I'll have some form of protein. Quite often it's eggs. I'll eat about four or five eggs. Um, I'm not worried about the saturated fat and cholesterol based on the earlier discussion that, that we had. Um, you know, for all of this advice, guys, a big caveat over it, right? I'm not a nutritionist. I'm not a doctor. If you've got specific health problems that you're worried about, go and seek someone out that can you can help you with those. But this is just, you know, how how I eat and hopefully you pick up some of the principles but anyway so I've got some source of protein and I people talk about lean protein I I honestly lean protein I don't think I eat any lean proteins my main sources of protein are going to be eggs it's going to be beef it's going to be pork I eat chicken but I prefer chicken thigh it's a lot tastier it's cheaper um it's got that saturated fat you know, turkey, turkey is a fairly lean protein, so I eat turkey, I eat a lot of fish, I eat sardines, I'll eat, uh, I'll eat tilapia, I eat salmon, um, those are the main sources of animal proteins anyway, I still, you know, the nuts and seeds that I eat, etc. will have protein as well, but they are the main sources of animal protein. Um, so I'm always looking for, in that first meal after I've trained, good portion of carbohydrates, good portion of protein, and then some green leafy vegetables, which could be, you know, kale, it could be spinach, pretty much wherever, whatever I've got in my fridge. And I'll get that out and, you know, I'll, I'll eat that. But let's talk a little bit about protein and, you know, how much protein do you need to eat on a day-to-day basis? The guidelines for people that are, you know, physically active, um, you know, on a regular basis, it's around 1.5 to 2. 2.0 grams so 1.5 to 2 grams of protein per body mass per day sorry per kilo of body mass per day so if you weigh 100 kilos you want to eat about 150 to 200 grams of protein per day now i don't count the protein that i that i eat on a daily basis but i know roughly i need to get for my frame, about about 50 grams of protein per meal. And I've just become used to knowing, okay, that's about 50 grams, that's about 50 grams or a bit more. Um, but if there's, you know, one thing that you do want to measure, I'd say it would be the protein intake. And, you know, for the recovery and the, the, the you know, muscle growth and repair, protein is very, very important. And if you are going to up anything in terms of, you know, wanting to recover from training, I would say, you know, protein is is a big part of it. So know how much you're eating and aim for about one and a half to two grams of protein per kilo body mass per day. Um, but that's, you know, that's that's fairly, I think, fairly, fairly, fairly simple, really, in terms of, you know, in terms of how, how I eat, how I choose that meal. It's okay, I've got to have a good source of carbohydrate. I'm looking for the most nutrient-dense foods that I can, so something like sweet potato. I've got a good source of, for, of protein. I'm looking for a good unprocessed source of fat always in that meal. So if I had a lean meat, had a lean meat, in that in that meal i'd probably add in something like an avocado or a tablespoon of, of butter or coconut oil somehow mixed into the into into the potato and then i'm eating a you know some some green leafy vegetable it's not i don't really think too much about it and when you because i use these general guiding principles and obviously because i shop in a way that i haven't got a ton of shit in my in my cupboard or in my fridge that i i'll be tempted to eat but that's it right that's that's the first meal of first meal of the day um then going on from there, 
you know, go about, you know, go about the rest of my day. And then about, you know, mid-afternoon, three, four o'clock, this is, this is what used to be my breakfast, but I now have moved it to the middle meal of the day because, um, I tend to have a more carbohydrate rich, rich meal for the first meal of the day, which is lunch because of the training. And, I, and that's the best time I feel for me to refill. But that middle meal of the day, which if it's any benefit for you, used to be my, uh, used to be my, my breakfast. And I have something, I call it a kale juice, but it's not really juiced because I have all the raw ingredients in there. And I, love this juice so much i've eaten it nearly every single day or a variation of it every single day for about the last six years if you haven't noticed already i'm a creature of habit once i once i work out something is good for me particularly in terms of my physical performance and physical well-being i'm all over it and you know maybe sometimes i'll overdo it but that's that's how strongly i feel this has a health benefit on me is I've eaten it nearly every day. There's exceptions when you're on holiday, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, but nearly every day for the last six years. And I'll talk you through the ingredients, some of which I think you'll understand already why they're in there, but also some of the others I'll try to explain. So first of all, I've got a good handful of kale, which with my big mitts is quite a lot of kale, and I'll put it down into. I use a Nutri Bullet for uh, for what it's worth. Right, I use a Nutri Bullet. Um, I'm not getting paid by them, so you use use whatever machine you want to use to make your juice. But anyway, I I get the kale, get the handful of kale, then I get about half of a raw beetroot, and you know first and foremost because a raw beetroot a raw beetroot is a very nutrient dense food. I can't remember the top off or the top of my head all the nutrients in there, but when you've got a vegetable that has that much color in it, it's it's got it's got to be good for you right i have looked it up i promise but i just can't remember why um but one of the things i do know about beetroot is it has a very similar effect to creatine on the body um let's talk about creatine very very quickly i used to take a lot of creatine when i was playing rugby as as a supplement but when you look at the research of creatine what it's essentially doing is helping your body maintain water within the muscles and you know that allows them to generate a stronger or a harder contraction so it can have a performance benefit but the, at least the research i've read when when you stop taking creatine and that you lose that water in the muscles most of the gains that you get from the creatine are lost apparently so i'll be honest i, I used to do a lot of it but when i you know became more educated i don't i don't bother with creatine i don't bother with many supplements others as, as um I've kind of mentioned, but but you know, a select two that maybe we'll talk about. But anyway, the the reason the beetroot it's meant to have a similar kind of a performance impact on endurance as creatine does. So if I can do it naturally and I'm not you know t- putting some kind of you know chemical or supplement in my body, I'm all for it. So that's the next thing. The other thing that beetroot does is, and if you've got kids, apparently if you make them eat, if you eat beetroot, their shit turns purple <laughs> because it it colours everything. And it, it, it colours everything for um, myself as well. Um, apologies, but I've said it. The but I find it's incredible for digestion and incredible for keeping the digestion going and, and, and making sure I've got enough fibre and I you know I feel light because everything has been cleaned through my system. So that's another reason why I keep the beetroot in there. Then I will have a handful of frozen berries. 
I use frozen because it's more convenient. It's cheaper than fresh berries. They don't go off. And I don't think there's that much difference between the nutrients that you get, um, you know, if they're frozen um, in the right way. So a handful of frozen berries. I have another uh, tablespoon of raw apple cider vinegar in there. You know, we've talked about the raw apple cider vinegar. But quickly back to the berries. One of the things that I don't add in, and I used to add into my, 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 my juice, is a banana or any kind of fruit juices because of the sugar. Now the only exception is that of that is if it's within you know a few hours of after my training and we've talked about the carb timing, but just in general, and another piece of advice I want to get, I give you is that cut down on the fruit. We have been told for years and years you've got to eat five, or is it now ten, or is it fifteen? I I don't I, I don't keep track portions of fruit and vegetable vegetables on a daily basis, um, but if you if you look back at the history of where those recommendations came from. It was a, someone, can't, they made it up, um, I say made it up in the best possible sense of the term, even with, with good intentions, but it's not necessarily backed by a whole load of science that you have to eat 10 fruit and veg portions per day, or whatever the number is at the moment. And the problem with that advice is most people will eat fruit, because fruit is easier to eat. Most fruit you can just pick up and you can eat. It tastes better. It doesn't need any preparation. But the problem with eating all that fruit is all of the sugar. So I think you should look to eat five to ten portions of vegetables per day. Forget the fruit. Berries, I think, are an exception because they're very low in sugar but are very nutrient-dense. But if you were to eat ten bananas in a day to get your ten portions of fruit and veg, that's, a, that's a, roughly 140 grams of sugar. That's a hell of a lot of sugar to have, and you, you just don't need that much. So that's one kind of bit of advice on the side there. But going back to this kale juice, and by the way, the kale juice, I do believe it's on bjjstrength.com if you look in the blog and look under the nutrition section. So I've got the handful of kale in there. I've got a, um, about a half a raw beetroot, small handful of frozen berries, the raw apple cider vinegar. Then I add in about a table, tablespoon and a half of chia seeds, tablespoon and a half of ground up flaxseed it's got to be ground if it's not ground your body's not going to digest it and get the nutrients out for flaxseed some people call it linseed it's the same thing handful of almonds and then also uh, about a tablespoon of turmeric powder um, sometimes a bit more maca and sometimes a bit more cayenne pepper and i've talked about i think you know the, the maca why i have that in the coffee why the cayenne pepper and why turmeric is good for information. So that's why I put them in the juice. But let's talk about the profile of the nuts and the seeds. Now, nuts and seeds are very, very good for you. Uh, absolutely, you should be eating lots of nuts and seeds because you know they're mostly very unprocessed, a good source of fat and a good source of protein. But what we need to be careful of is eating too many nuts and seeds that are high in omega-6 and omega-9. The reason being, if we look at a lot of the, the, that the problems we see in modern diets, if you know research is to be believed and some theories are to be believed, the ideal ratio of omega-3 to omega-6 and 9 in the body is meant to be 1 to 1. So for every 1 gram of omega-3, you want a total of 1 gram of omega-6 and omega-9. So a straight 1 to 1 ratio. But apparently in many modern diets, the ratio is 1 to 16. So for every 1 gram of omega-3, there's about 16 grams combined of omega-6 and omega-9. 
Now that's mostly due to a lot of the processed fats that we'll talk a little bit about uh, later on. But the profile of many nuts is to be high in omega-6 and omega-9. So I think you will feel a lot better if you focus on nuts and seeds that are high in omega-3. And the three that I know most closely are chia seeds, flax seeds, and macadamia nuts. Macadamia nuts are a bit more expensive, but depending on where you shop, chia seeds and flax seeds, if you buy them in bulk, are not too bad. Um, so that's why I balance out. I have actually have more flaxseed and chia seed than I do almond in, in, in the smoothie, or the juice, sorry, because of that balance between omega-3 and omega-6 and 9. And that is, that's my kale shake. That is, it's for me, it's like a super shake. If I don't eat that, I absolutely know it's the difference. Um, and that used to be my breakfast, and one of the reasons it used to be my breakfast is to get to get that green leafy veg in first thing in the day, to get all those nutrients, to get the good good fats, to get the you know they get the protein from the nuts and seeds, um, and for it to be very low in carbohydrates. So if you're not you know you're not someone who's intermittent fasting, I reckon it's a fantastic breakfast. And when you get it down, once you get used to making it, that'll take you five minutes, and you're done. Take it in your car with you, and you're on your way. The other thing then I'll throw in with that with that kale juice is another form of another form of protein. Um, you know, tin of tin of sardines I will often do. I will do um, you know some uh, sometimes tin of mackerel. I used to eat a lot more mackerel in the UK, but it's just so damn expensive here in the US. But mackerel is is a great oily fish. It's a great great source of pro of protein and a very very good source. Sorry, I'm mumbling over my words today, but a very good source of omega three fatty acids which are you know, incredibly important for overall health um, and fighting inflammation in the body. So that is my second meal of the day. That is my kale juice with some other form of protein that I would throw in. And I've, I've talked about the protein and the sources that I get it from, so I won't, I won't bore you and talk about it again. Then I go about you know, my merry day and do whatever I've got to do, work, play with the kids, et cetera, et cetera. And then I have my evening meal. Um, and I, 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 I kind of break one of my rules in terms of the carbohydrate timing in my evening meal. I have an evening meal and I have carbohydrates in there. Um, and partly because I intermittent fast, partly because I'm training twice a day, even though the strength and conditioning is not overly intense. Um, so I kind of cheat a little bit on my on my carbohydrate timing with my evening meal. But it's it's not it's not rocket science. I'm looking for a good source of, of carbohydrate from an, a very unproce unprocessed source. I don't like to eat wheat, so I look I look for rice or rice pasta. Um, yeah, you know, that, that there's processing in that if I, you know, if I'm honest with it. But um, you know, I know my body reacts much much better when I avoid eating wheat. Pretty much avoid it like the plague. Or I have potatoes, or I have sweet potato, and they are my main carbohydrate sources. And then I have. Uh, you know, I, I, this is not uh, a cooking podcast, it's a nutrition podcast, but I've, you know, I've let's say I've already eaten about 100 grams of protein in my other two meals. I'm looking for about 50 grams of protein, maybe a little bit more in my evening meal. I'm looking for it to have a good portion of fat in there from unprocessed sources. And also I'm looking to do, you know, a large portion of, you know, green leafy vegetables in there. Um, it's really... Maybe I'm I'm skipping over the details because it seems simple to me. If you've got more specific questions, ask me. I can answer them, or I can try to cover it, cover it on another show. But I don't know. I, I think that's you know a key message from me today in terms of eating and in terms of nutrition 
is that we can overcomplicate nutrition, but really when you break it down into some of the guiding principles and core principles that I've talked about and I spelt out in the article that I'll, I'll put in the show notes, uh, that it really isn't it really isn't that difficult and it's not that complex and I'm not doing anything magical with how I eat and I think most people don't need to do anything magical with how they eat and remember I'm talking about my eating because it just makes it easier for me to discuss what I think good nutrition is rather than I think my eating is the gold standard so that's that's really that's really it um oh, another thing that I do uh, I picked this up from Tim Ferriss I'll have a tea um like a chamomile tea, a peppermint tea, you know, nothing with caffeine in it, um, a red bush tea, whatever the case may be. And I'll put, again, raw apple cider vinegar. <laughs> I'm surprised I don't sweat raw apple cider vinegar, actually. But I'll do two, two tablespoons of raw apple cider vinegar in the tea and about a tablespoon of honey. And the reason he recommends to do this is it helps with sleep. And I've noticed a huge difference actually in how 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 deeply I sleep and how easily I can get to sleep with drinking um, drinking that tea about you know an hour or so before bed. It, I don't I don't know what the effects are, but it seems to work and it tastes. Uh, it's a bit of a weird taste. I'm going to be honest with with the apple cider vinegar in it, but you know you kind of get you kind of get used to it. So that's that's that in terms of my day-to-day to eat then but let's just touch on some of the really important things i think it's important to discuss and also some of the listener questions so i've had to pull up my notes on the phone for this one and i want to talk about some of the fats that you want to avoid we've already talked about the nuts and seeds and the balance between omega-3 versus omega-6 and omega-9 um so i won't go over that again but what are some of the fats or oils in your diet that could be really, you know, really, and I say, I'm trying to exaggerate this, but boost the amount of omega-6 in your diet by an incredible amount, an incredibly unnatural amount that we don't want. And that, first of all, it's going to be trans fats. And trans fats is fairly obvious. But what is a trans fat? I'll be honest, I can't tell you the science behind what a trans fat is. I know I need to avoid it um, based on the reading and research I've done. Um, but where you know trans fat is not something you don't go to the you don't go to the store, do you? Oh, can I have a bottle of trans fat, please? You don't go, it's not a big bottle of trans fat next to the coconut oil. So you don't go into the supermarket and, and not buy trans fat. But it's the kind of fat that's in a lot of foods that you, you're gonna buy, like margarine, deep fried foods, fast foods pastries, donuts, biscuits, cookies, etc. All of those foods that, you know, on occasions taste damn delicious. Um, I've been known to to enjoy an In-N-Out burger from time to time or, you know, enjoy a donut from time to time and cookies, but, but um, not all the time, right? <laughs> That's, it's once in a while kind of thing if you want to be, uh, you know, eat, eating healthy. But avoiding those foods are going to is going to help you avoid in trans fats, particularly the deep fried foods and fast foods. Really, really big things to avoid. But the other stuff that is very sneaky, some of the other oils and fats that are very sneaky in terms of how they get into your diet are going to be, and this is not a complete list. Again, look at the article in the show notes to get a complete list. But stuff like Saf flower oil, that's S-A-F-F, flower oil, sunflower oil, corn oil, cottonseed oil, sesame oil, peanut oil, soybean oil, 
canola and walnut oils that you may think are healthy um like you know your sunflower oil sunflowers are good right it's a good seed they must be good for me walnuts walnuts are good walnut oil that must be good for me but incredibly high in omega-6 and if the research is to be believed in terms of what that does for inflammation and health in the body you absolutely want to avoid these oils like the plague the oils that you want to be cooking with are going to be you know butter um stuff like ghee uh, uh coconut oil coconut oil especially because it can handle a lot of high heat use olive oil but that that, that becomes toxic when it when it when cooked under a high heat or something you want to avoid and so those are the oils that you want to be using and cooking with and adding adding to your food but stuff like safflower sunflower oil corn oil cottonseed oil vegetable oil what is vegetable oil what vegetable does vegetable oil come from? It's just a collection of processed oils that they call vegetable oil. And that's a lot of the oils that we that people use to, to fry and deep fry foods. We're told that it's meant to be better for our health and, you know, it reduces saturated fat, etc. But when you start to look at the research and you dig a little bit deeper on these things, these oils that are supposedly good for us, maybe maybe they're not so good for us after all. But the big thing you want to watch out for is not necessarily... Not necessarily looking at um, you know what you're buying and what oils you're using to cook with. It's when you're buying pre-made foods. Read the damn label. Not only for sugar and all the preservatives and add additives in there, but be careful of what oils are, are in there. It's so common to see soybean oil, canola, canola oil, or vegetable oil in some of the pre-made pre-made foods. Read the label. Absolutely, read the label all the time. Um, I, my wife uh, whether she hates me for it or not but she now knows she'll pick something up she'll look at the oils and she'll learn not she'll put it down um you know thankfully she's picked up the good habit as well but those oils that you want to avoid like the plague um and i wanted to make sure i covered that and look over look over my notes but let's get into yeah let's get into the, let's get into the listener questions before we start wrapping it up so i've got First of all, from Vera. Uh, Vera, thank you for these questions. Um, and Vera, are you going to have to let me know how to pronounce your last name? Uh, I'm not even going to bother because I'll butcher it. It's, um, yeah. You had two questions. The first was around alcohol and alcohol's impact on recovery and training. Unfortunately, there's not a massive amount of research specifically around alcohol and, and, and recovery for, you know, athletes and people that, you know, people that compete in sports and there's some stuff there's some stuff in terms of you know the use of alcohol and what the 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 acute impacts are on sports performance so for example if you were to drink a bottle of wine is your squat going to go up or is your squat squat going to go down in terms of the performance um hopefully you're not talking about that i'm pretty sure you're not um so you know generally you're boozing before you train is you know not advised whatsoever but in terms of you know what does alcohol do in terms of recovery um, and long-term consumption uh, in terms of sports performance there's not a great deal of research and that's not surprising who's going to sign up what bunch of you know college athletes because these studies are typically done on college athletes what college athletes are going to sign up um, if they're serious about performance yeah i'm going to booze i'm going to you know drink alcohol um you know for 30 days straight while i train and then you know risk my health so it's and it's not you know it's obviously not very ethical um to ply people with loads of alcohol and do these studies so there's not a lot of research in there so there there tends to be um 
you know two general consensus uh, two you know, general rules of thumb one is that following normal guidelines for the general population about alcohol consumption should be you know the same kind of guidelines that an athlete should follow and if anything actually reduce the amount of alcohol even below that from you know the guidelines for the general population the, the other one is that if you're going to drink alcohol you know after you've training maybe you've you know just you've finished training or you finished competing you want to have a beer or something to you know to celebrate or relax with friends uh, you know the one piece of research that i saw that you know roughly about one small drink is not going to do much damage in terms of the recovery they don't then say that if you have two drinks it's going to be you know a 20 percent impact on recovery because it's hard to measure those things so um you know, just you know one drink after training is probably not going to have a great deal of difference but follow general guidelines i you know i drink i live I, we live near some wineries we're, we're a member of a great winery here in in uh, southern california i've always joked that i could give up all alcohol but i can't give up red wine <laughs> i love red wine you know but i have you know a few glasses a week i'm not i'm not chugging it every single night and you know i know what works well for me and what you know works in terms of my body but those that's the general advice that i saw when i when i looked this up and maybe it's not the answer what you wanted the answer that you wanted but it's not surprising why maybe there's not more research in this area um so thank you for that question vera and on to your next one eating for recovery now eating for recovery is a question i get asked a lot i think i've been asked it about two or three times by three two or three separate people this week actually I think if you focus on all of the nutrition principles that we've talked about in terms of, you know, great hydration, making sure you've got enough protein, avoiding processed foods, avoiding stuff like sugar, eating a lot more green leafy vegetables, that's going to give you 80 or 90% of what you need in terms of in terms of recovery from training. If you do all of that and you still don't feel like you're recovering the way that you should, there's three things. I'm going to say four things that you consider some nutrition related some not nutrition related the first would be look to you know marginally increase your carbohydrate intake after your training um, and maybe throughout the day and marginally marginally increase your protein intake maybe by 10 or 15 10 15 20 grams of protein per day um yeah we're going away from some of the carbohydrate timing principles here but if you feel that you're not eating enough to recover from your training you know incrementally add some carbohydrate and protein into your diet and see how that and see that how that helps but also look at stuff uh, you know like like turmeric like gut health um you know the stuff like the raw apple cider vinegar the fermented food that's gonna you know help fight inflammation in the body and that's you know going to be a big part of of the recovery the other the other points i would make is not 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 too much caffeine you know caffeine does spike cortisol levels you know over time it's shown that our body does become used to it but if you're jacking your system up with caffeine all the time and you're you're constantly um you know spiking those cortisol levels cortisol is a stress hormone training is um training is a stress on the body if you put more stress on the body through drinking coffee then it's going to in, in, inhibit your recovery so be very careful of the caffeine intake as well then the other thing I would say, the two things I would say is optimize your sleep. Sleep is, you know, when our body does so much of the recovery and recuperation. So look at ways you can optimize your sleep and maybe that's going to be a separate uh, topic. But also, you know, what do you need to recover from? Maybe you've got to balance the training with, you know, your 
your life and what you know the resources you have available you if you've got if you've got to work and you've got a job and stuff and etc etc you've got all this other stress on your body you know what you you only have to recover what you give yourself to recover from so yes absolutely we want to push ourselves and try to get out of our comfort zone to improve our jiu-jitsu to improve our physical conditioning but you don't want to do it to a point where it becomes a detriment to the rest of your life and, and the rest of your training. If you push too hard on Monday and Tuesday and then you're useless on Wednesday, Thursday and Friday and then need the weekend to recover, you're probably doing too much. So finding the balance in your training I think is very, very important. But thank you for those questions, Veer. And now we're going to go on to a um, question I got from Ollie, uh, BJJ Games, my good friend Ollie, And he was talking about ketosis. Um, I'm not a massive advocate of the ketogenic diet, and the reason being is, and uh, you know, uh, Ollie was asking about uh, does the ketogenic diet limit power, um, but do you gain endurance? Well, I looked at two separate studies. One study was done with a group of elite female athletes, and when they went on to a ketogenic diet, the strength, performance, um wasn't impacted so they didn't we sh, you know should be able to translate that to power as well um but it didn't specifically say power but it said it wasn't impacted so maybe if you're facing those problems it's just a short adaption period of getting used to the ketogenic diet but the other thing when you look at um in endurance studies done on endurance athletes the high high fat diet didn't give you or didn't give at least in this study people um a notable improvement in endurance so if we look at those two pieces of research one says you don't lose strength but the other one says you don't gain endurance so if there's no benefit for your performance either way from going on on a ketogenic diet i would only do it if you feel if it makes you feel good maybe if you're trying to manage weight and it helps you manage weight i've heard anecdotes of going onto a ketogenic diet and really boosting testosterone levels joe rogan it was talked talked about his testosterone levels double double him which is an incredible amount um so if, if i look at these pieces of research and i'm not an expert when it comes to the ketogenic diet there's not there may not necessarily be a performance um, detriment but there's not a performance benefit so i think it depends on how it makes you feel on a day-to-day basis um and you know the other benefits you may get from that in terms of in terms of weight management so that's what i would say on the on the keto diet it's um if it works for you great but don't expect that suddenly you're going to get these performance benefits from it at least based on the research the next question was from brad um, and Brad sent this to me on Instagram, and his question was around: At what point is it smart to lean out or to gain mat or to gain mass? So you know what he means there is: If you're in a you know a weight bracket, an IBJJF weight bracket in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, and those weight brackets are about 13 pounds from top to bottom, or six kilos if we want to talk in kilos. So to use the example of uh, the super heavyweight weight class it goes from 195 pounds to 208 pounds so it's about a 13 pound difference and these are for the males the male categories apologies i didn't look at the female categories but the uh, similar principles should apply 
And let's take the example of someone that's sitting in the middle of the weight class. You're not sure where to go. You're right about in the middle. So you're about six pounds above and about the bottom of the weight class and about six pounds above or three kilos above and below. Now, what should you do? Should you try to bulk up? Should you not bother and do anything at all? Or should you try to lose weight? Let's assume that, you know, Brad, from your question, you want to try to, you know, maximize your weight to strength ratio within that weight class. So you want to either be at the bottom or, you, you, sorry, you don't want to be at the bottom. You want to try to be at the top of a weight class, which means either going down a weight class or going up a weight class. And I think that's what you mean from your question. I think a lot of this comes down to the body, your body fat percentage. If you're 10 to 12 percent body fat or lower then i think it's potentially easier oh not not easier easier is the wrong word but potentially more sensible to try to um you know to try to gain mass and i'll use an example if you're let's say you're 200 pounds and you want to drop you want to drop four pounds to get down to the 195 pound category um, that's going to be if you're 10 to 12 percent body um, body fat it's going to be at about a two percent drop in body fat going down from 10 percent to eight percent body fat is going to be a lot harder than going from 20 percent to 18 percent body fat so yes you're losing two percent body fat in in both scenarios and you're losing the same amount of weight but you've got much more fat to burn now when you start to get to 8% or maybe closer to 6%, you're starting to get into bodybuilder, um, the bodybuilder, bodybuilder, sorry, um, territories, sorry is the word I'm looking for, uh, bodybuilding territories in terms of the body fat percentage. And you get to a place there where you can, uh, maybe someone can give me an example, but I don't think it's possible to get to 0% body fat. I think you just die. There's a certain essential amount of body fat that you have. And don't forget, the bodybuilders will only get down to a certain percentage of body fat for a very low period of time. That's not something that they can maintain and something you should maintain. So when you're already in the region of 10 to 12%, then trying to drop down to 8%, 7%, it's doable, absolutely it's doable. There are people that do that, but that comes that can become you know, very, very difficult. And what you, end up may, what you may end up doing in that situation is losing muscle mass in 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 a desk in the desperation to try and lose weight and not eating enough you lose you can end up losing muscle mass if you lose muscle mass you're losing the mass on your body that gives you you know a lot of your performance um other than fat and fat is you know essentially you know fuel source and otherwise useless so that's what i would say if but if you're closer to say you know 15 to 20 percent body fat and you sit in that middle category I think then, you know, losing two to three percent body fat to get down and lose those, you know, five or six pounds, you're still anywhere between 12 and 15 percent body fat. And that's a lot more, it's a lot healthier. It's a lot more manageable for most people um, in terms of, you know, where you need to be with your weight. So I think I've got, I, I'll, sorry, sorry, Brad, I think I've maybe butchered that response. But what I'd summarize to say is that, um, you know, if you're 10 to 12 percent body fat, and you need to lose five or six pounds, then that's going to be, you know, quite difficult. Maybe the more sensible approach is to try to build five or six pounds of muscle mass and put yourself closer to the top of the category. If you're 15% body fat, 20% body fat or higher, then I think you're better off losing the fat. 
it's going to be a lot easier for you and a lot less you know, taxing on the body to do that. So that would be my recommendation. And the other things that I would leave you with is that if you are trying to cut the weight, a healthy way to lose your weight is going to be about one to one and a half pounds of weight per week. With the exception of cutting weight very close to a competition where you're losing mostly water weight, if you're, you know, if you're dropping weight quicker than one to one and a half pounds per week, you're probably losing muscle mass on top of the fat that you're burning off. And we want to maintain the muscle mass so we maintain that performance benefit from it. There's, be, there's going to be an exception if you're you know, completely changing your diet. You'll probably lose a lot of water weight right at the start, particularly if you're cutting out processed foods. But once that steadies out, about one to one and a half pounds per week is a healthy um, recommendation. Um, yeah, that's what I would say, um, Brad. But again, uh, thank you. Thank you for that question. I really appreciate it. Now, the last question I've got is from my you know, good friend and ex-training partner, uh, Cornell. Um, Ollie, Ollie's an ex-training partner as well, so I'm going to give Ollie a shout out in that respect. And Cornell, um, over in the UK, and his question was around, if you're losing fat, is it diet or exercise or both? Um, Cornell, with the way you eat, buddy, I don't think there's any hope. Um, I think you're just stuck with it. I'm, I'm, I'm joking, but uh, is, is it is it diet? Is it exercise? Is it both? It's it's both. It's a simple answer. It's absolutely both. I don't think you can out train a bad diet. Cornell is not going to mind me saying this, but you know Cornell is a, more of an elder statesman in his in his mid forties. Um, I'm in my mid thirties, and even I found it. You know what I eat and how that you know impacts my 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 fat mass you know it, it, it gets harder it gets harder as you get older so i don't think you know you can out train a bad diet maybe when you're in your early 20s you can get away with it i know i did but over time and i know that most of you listening to this podcast um you know are going to be you know in your 30s or above or at least you know based on the numbers i've looked at um you know it, it gets a little harder to out train a bad diet so i think you need both i think you need good nutrition um and you need and you need the exercise if you if you're going to lose fat but honestly i think you know the two the two biggest things that are going to help you to cut fat is the carbohydrate timing i don't think you need to go full ketogenic so save all the carbohydrates you eat for a three-hour window after you've trained and on the days you're not training really reduce the carbohydrate down as much as possible so you're not going into full uh, ketosis but you're still allowing your body to get into a fat burning mode while allowing your body to replenish the glycogen stores as well and the other thing from a personal perspective is intermittent fasting intermittent fasting for me and working out in a fasted state first thing in the morning has been incredible for my en energy and overall health and well-being but it's been really good for you know fat reduction i'm right now and without really trying, just trying to eat to feel good and perform well, you've gone down to a heavyweight weight class and stayed there without cutting weight for the first time in my jiu-jitsu career. I'm probably at my lowest body fat percentage I think I've ever been. Um, I'm about 200 pounds. And I've sat at about 210, 215 for the last three years. Feeling good, um, but almost without trying. The intermittent fasting, following all the other principles that I've talked about, um, it's almost i can't stop the way the, the fat coming off actually 
it's been that it's been that beneficial for me but intermittent fasting is not for everyone and i'll be honest i'm talking about it today because i'm using it as a good you know as an example um i need to do more research on intermittent fasting and all of the benefits um but you know i think weight loss is one of them and fat loss is definitely one of them so i would that's what i would say to your question cornell you got to do both you got to exercise on its diet it's a com- combination of the two um two two closing thoughts i'll leave you with one is that there's no silver bullet when it comes to nutrition there's no one supplement there's no one piece of protein one piece of vegetable that you suddenly can bring into your diet that's going to solve all your problems it needs to be you know a complete picture the nutrition uh, combined with your training combined with your stress management combined with how well you sleep and all of these things that are going to leave you feeling with your best so absolutely you know look to incrementally incrementally change things and bring in new things to your diet and your nutrition and see how that makes you feel but there's going to be no silver bullet it's always going to be a combination of different things one thing i'm going to leave you with is a cheat meal this is my little tip for you if you struggle to eat clean on a day-to-day basis and you know you look at you look at the chocolate you look at some of the you know the sweets and the candy and the donuts and you're like oh shit i just have to have one it's too hard for me introduce something called the cheat meal so what you do is you get a bit of paper a notepad a note notepad what, what the hell is that a notepad or your phone and you keep a list every time you feel like you crave something that you probably shouldn't be eating because it's processed it's full of crap it's full of sugar um note it down make a note of oh on my during my cheat meal i'm gonna have a donut or i'm gonna have pizza or i'm gonna have whatever the case may be then for one meal not one day but one meal per week and i like to do it on a day that i'm not training you eat whatever you want for that one meal and this does two incredible things the psychology of writing it down and knowing that you will have that food but you've just got to push it back for a couple of days i think takes the pressure off you it takes the pressure off thinking all right i've got to eat super healthy all the time i can never have these bad foods but knowing that you can oh i'll have it on saturday saturday afternoon is gonna be my cheat meal i think it takes the pressure off psychologically absolutely takes the pressure off psychologically but also when you go to actually have that that cheat meal what you're going to find is that you know you have that one meal and you'll 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 eat whatever you want and it's not going to have the same detrimental effects to your health and you know well-being like it would if you're having it all the time but it will kill the cravings probably for the next week you'll eat it and you'll go oh that was great but then you won't feel like that food um it does I, I don't know why it does that but it's it's a pretty powerful tool having the cheap meal so that's the one little thing i'd leave you with um is the power of the cheap meal play around with it works wonders so guys thank you for listening um i hope you like the format of this uh, i enjoy talking about it in this way and hopefully it's the best way to get across some of the, the new some of the general nutrition advice i advise people to follow and you know as, as always um 
I'm not going to ask you to rate and review because I said I'm only going to give you one call to action. And the one call to action today is to head over to youtube.com forward slash BJJ strength. That's youtube.com forward slash BJJ strength and help me get to my goal of a thousand subscribers. If you're not subscribed already, check out some of the videos. I've got a whole host of content coming out this week, some really cool videos and subscribe to the channel guys. It would mean, it would mean a lot to me. But other than that, look after yourselves and thank you for listening.